This is Pro Wrestling Illustrated, a love letter to independent wrestling by Pro Wrestling Illustrated. I am one of your hosts, PWI Editor-in-Chief Kevin McElvaney. With me, as always, the Good Witch, the Divine Darling, the Conduit of Karma, Kaya McKenna. Kaya, how is it going? It has been a while. It's going really well, and it has been a while, but it's mostly, we'll say, I guess with both of our faults, but it's mostly my fault. Oh, I don't know about that. (laughs) Well... I think that, you know, obviously SummerSlam weekend was quite busy for a lot of people within the wrestling community. And then um, I, you know, very smart, decided to go to SummerSlam weekend and then move halfway across the country three days later after getting home. So that was like a 14-hour drive to Nashville, a 14-hour drive back to the DMV, and then pack all my crap, and then a 14-hour drive or 15-hour drive to Iowa all within like a week and a half's time span. So that's, that's my excuse. <laughs> and you're back at uh, Black and Brave with friend of the show, Mark Brave. Yeah, so. I am. Um, I'm in good hands. So you're training for, I, I think you could say, you said it on Twitter, but why are you back at Black and Brave? Well, um, let's be 110% honest here. There are many people in professional wrestling who have a major injury and they are so desperate to get back in the ring that they do so immediately and re-injure themselves. And we're trying to avoid that. Um, I figure at this point, I've already been on the shelf close to nine, nine months. It's been nine months. Oh my goodness. Okay. Nine months. What's another month to make sure I'm in working order before I start pursuing bookings and matches again. I just really thought that when you have the time gifted to you, you should absolutely take it to make sure you're where you need to be. And I mean, even maybe clean up some spots and stuff I wanted to clean up, you know, things I wanted to tighten up on or things I could do better. Or I've been doing this two years now. How can I evolve my character a little bit so I'm not stale when I come back? So just kind of allowing myself to have that space to grow and use the time that I've been gifted and not take it for granted. I think that's an awesome idea. Um, and I'm glad that uh, we were both able to make the time for this uh, episode during a, a busy span because we're we're talking about a topic today that we've been kicking around for a little while, but have just finally been able to make happen. And that's that zines, uh, fanzines might they might be commonly known as to uh, I guess the slightly older PWI readers, um, you know, and a lot of stuff. There's a long history of this in wrestling going back. I mean, technically that's what the Wrestling Observer was when it started out. Technically yeah. that's what hundred uh, percent. Matt Report, which Stu Sachs, uh, I, I think I have the name right, I think it was Matt Report, um, his weekly thing that he put out or bi-weekly thing that he put out, which got him on the radar of Stanley Weston and then eventually, you know, Pro Wrestling Illustrated and then here I am again. So it's... Uh, was there ever a cut and paste of PWI? <laughs> there was not. Um, there, some of those old Matt Reports do still exist, but I mean, there were no photos in those. That was pure typewriter on paper that is now very yellowed I, maybe i'll do a actually you know what there was one cut and paste pwi because there was that do t- a cut and paste pwi and like have it be like a special edition or something a chase version well, there, or was it a variant is that is that the yeah, yeah, yeah. Days, a variant well, well there was that special one of one danhausen cover when he finally cursed yeah. he swore sorry um realizing <laughs> that he wasn't number one in the 500 so we kind of took a picture that uh that basil Mahmoud took and we put mm-hmm. it on the cover, just like Danhausen in a birthday hat, and printed it out and put it on the cover of PWI. That's the closest we've gotten. Uh, 
I offered it up to Danhausen as a, a token of apology, and it was enough to not be cursed in the moment. But I don't know how it'll go going forward. I think uh, it's interesting how many actual like major publications or just like actual magazines evolved out of the scene. Like I know within the skating skateboarding community, there's a magazine called Low Card, and that mm-hmm. started out as a very much punk rock and roll, cut and paste locally distributed operation that caught wind and has now become an actual quote unquote magazine, but they have continued to adhere to the original aesthetic, which makes it really fun. And that makes me think of Thrasher, which is going to come up in this conversation that we're about to, to go into right now. Gosh. I, Gosh. I have like, I kid you guys not. I have like moving boxes full of Thrasher magazines at my house from my youth. That's amazing. It's crazy. Yeah. It was like a big, big thing for me. So, and again, another, another publication, right. That like has kind of adhered to their original aesthetic. Like even though it started out more cut and paste and has obviously evolved into a major publication. Now they still have not deviated too far away from their original intent. Exactly. All right. Well, let's get into it. The DIY uh, zines and, and pro wrestling and the various things that could be done with them. Our first guest, is the founder and uh, editor of and frequent uh, writer for uh, the Atomic Elbow, which is an awesome wrestling zine. And we're going to get into what makes that so special right now with the founder and editor, Robert Newsom. Let's go to that interview. Robert, thanks for joining us here. Um, been a reader. I won't pretend every single issue, but I've been a reader uh, of your zine for couple of years now, uh, the atomic elbow. And I really enjoy it as a casual enjoyer of fanzines in general, uh, you know, m- mostly music based, nothing too intense, like the comet buses and Doris's of the world, that sort of thing. But I really enjoy the, the style, the aesthetics of it, the DIY nature of it. Um, still have a ton of appreciation for that, even in my job as you know, more formal publishing where you have accounting and all this other stuff that, which of course you have too, but it's more intuitive. Um, but long way of saying I have a ton of respect for you in taking this on and kind of just doing it for the love of it. But for anyone who doesn't know about Atomic Elbow, could you give a little bit of background what led you to starting this this endeavor? I've been doing, uh, first, well, first of all, thank you. Uh, those are very kind words. Uh, but I've been doing zines in, in some form or other probably since the early 90s. Um, and it's just been you know varying degrees of success. Uh, I also am one of the co-organizers of Fluke, which is a one-day small press comics uh, zine independent publishing show here in Athens, Georgia. I've been doing that for the past 20 years. Uh, so zines have been a part of my life since I first discovered what they were. Wrestling has been a part of my life since literally before I can remember. Um, my dad used to take me to shows as a, probably not an infant, but definitely a small child. Uh, the NWA ran the J&J Center uh, outside of Athens, Georgia. My dad uh, would would take me to shows there, according to my mom, when I was very, very young, just a toddler age. So um, I've never known a world without professional wrestling as a part of it. And zines have been something that 
I have been drawn to since I first found out what they were when I was, you know, a kid. And so it seemed natural to combine the two. I'm surprised it took me uh, until the the 21st century to figure out uh, that I could do that. I'd been reading um, from Parts Unknown was a big influence on me. The um, the zine about specifically about masked wrestlers, uh, but also about as you mentioned, you know, music and and sort of ancillary, um, you know, luchador movies and things of that nature. But the mass wrestler uh, phenomenon, I guess, if you want to say, is kind of the focus of From Parts Unknown. That zine was a big influence on me. And uh, after ending a zine project in around 2006, where I did one zine every week for a year, I took a little rest after that project and and wanted to do something new. And wrestling uh, just sort of became what that project focused on. And here we are 10 years later, it's still happening. Wow, that's a lot of work put in there over the years in the weekly zine thing, especially. Yeah, it wasn't um, wasn't as impressive as it sounds. Some of them were were definitely low effort. Um, me just throwing something on top of a photocopier and hoping people wouldn't notice. But so I grew up um, at the beach in a very large skateboarding, surfing, and punk rock music community. So I also was introduced to the concept of a zine at a very young age. And you spoke about like throwing it on the copier and, and that Xerox looking effect, but also like drawing. I love that one of the things I noticed about your zine is that you draw from like other influences outside of wrestling and incorporate that into the content. So it's not all just straight wrestling all the time. Um, is, what was What's the inspiration for that, making it a little bit more well, well-rounded per se? One of the most boring things in the world is to me, is the a laser focus on a specific thing that only exists to examine that thing as if it doesn't have connections outside of itself. Um, every thing is interconnected in weird ways, and that is the most interesting part of it to me. I always say that I write about wrestling as a way to not write about wrestling. I always want to talk about stuff that has nothing to do with what I'm writing about. Uh, the most recent issue where I wrote about SummerSlam 92, I think there was a, a pretty big diversion about uh, 18th century brass bands and Renaissance composers. Um, talked a lot about men's hats in an issue. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think one of um, one of the big non-zine influences on me uh, from from the age of probably 11 or 12, I was a subscriber to Thrasher. And the spirit of the way Thrasher was organized, and of course it became a slick, a, a huge publication, but the way that magazine was put together was very um, was very accessible. And there was a, a, a low bar of entry. It looked like something you could do on the photocopier in your high school's library. And so that's what I tried to do. Come to find out it was a little harder than that, but um, but that was that was my goal. But yeah, I mean, it's just um, talking about just wrestling all the time and not acknowledging that it exists as one component of American popular culture gets kind of boring. 
because wrestling itself isn't afraid to bring in influences from outside, even though sometimes they're very dated. Um, but, you know, so, so writing about wrestling shouldn't be afraid to tie it into other things as well. Yeah, that's a really good point. And, um, you know, honestly, something you said just resonated with me in the, uh, you know, the, the day job with the magazine. I mean, it does get, if you cover the same things in the same way all the time, you don't allow yourself to go on the tangents or, uh, you know, speak to somebody about things that aren't just strictly what they do in between the ropes all the time. It can get boring just to write. So, I mean, on the other hand, like who would want to read that all the time with without any diversions? Um, but I think it's cool that you just allow yourself to go, I don't want to say off the rails, but so far from the original topic. And I do think that's what makes it appealing. Um, you spoke about like this uh, idea that, you know, something looks like it's made on a copy machine in a high school library and that the reality is a lot more complicated than that. Um, without getting too much into the actual process, I'm more curious about how it's evolved for you over the years, because obviously there's a lot of uh, technology out there that exists now that makes these things a little bit easier, that you could potentially even emulate that old style without having to you know, use some of those same uh, media to make it, I guess. So how have things changed in that regard for you over the years with the, the actual making of zines? One of the biggest changes for me, and this sounds flippant, but it, I absolutely don't mean it that way, is that around 2007, 2008, um, my wife and I got a computer, and it was the first time we'd had a computer in the house. And it was revelatory to me to be like, I can just type something, and it, it can just exist as it is. And so a lot of times I think I'm cheating. By, by not doing the hand layout, by not doing the cut and paste, by not doing everything, every individual component, laying it out by hand and really using a word processing program for a lot of it. But at the same time, that does allow me to focus more on the writing itself um, and what my contributors uh, to the zine are. And so, look, I'm saying all this to justify it, and there's no way to justify it. I feel deep inside like I am doing something wrong. I should still be laying this out with scissors and a glue stick and a stolen copy card from Kinko's, but I'm not. And so it's sort of my eternal shame that I've, I've capitulated to that laziness. But I think once the first few issues were out there and they had an established look and style, it was kind of too late to turn back uh, because I think to to now start doing a cut and paste sort of layout would be such a jarring tonal shift that it would ruin the uniformity of what I've established. So that initial laziness carries over and allows me to talk about my current laziness as a stylistic choice rather than what it actually is. I mean, if you have tools to maximize your efficiency, you should always absolutely utilize them, right? I guess so. But I again, I've been doing zines for so long that when I look at my zine, it feels like cheating to me. 
that was done on a computer. I, and this is shameful and I'm admitting it in public. I do not fold and staple my own zines anymore. Um, copiers exist that can do that for you. I feel terrible about that. Um, I feel like I owe some sort of penance for not participating in the process in that way, but, uh, that's just the way it is. I'm old and I'm tired. <laughs> you know, I hear, I hear that Ian McKay no longer, uh, stuffs the records inside of all the sleeves himself too. It's, it's, it's really a shame. Just, uh, everyone turning their back on yeah, the like long and arduous ways of doing things. I don't believe that for one well, second. You think Ian McKay is still stuffing? I think he's, I think he's in discord house packing orders right now. <laughs> you think Glenn Danzig is still screen printing in his basement for the feed club? <laughs> If he's not, I am very – all those shirts that Target was selling with the Fiend Club logo on it, Glenn screened every single one of those. <laughs> and I heard they uh, they paid him in cat litter for it. Right, right. I think, I think he brought Jerry and Doyle in to help for an afternoon. <laughs> yeah. Got to put all those muscles to work on Doyle. Got to do something with them. Yeah. Jeez. Well, you know, there's – we, t- we talked about these these tangents and things like that. Um, did you ever second guess that approach even a little bit? Like whether it's because of feedback from somebody else or because maybe you're approaching somewhat more serious subject matter for what whatever reason. Um, you know, it's not that everything goes off on a, on a wild tangent, but do you ever think like, hey, maybe one issue I should play it a little more straight? Or is that just not something that ever entered your mind? Nope. Um, it's my project. And so I use that as an excuse to just go where it takes me. The very first issue that I wrote, I wrote a long piece about Halloween Havoc, uh, 2000, I think, or 1999. I can't remember which one it was. And that sort of established the tone because there was so much going on at that show that I wanted to mention, that I wanted to talk about, that it didn't stay on it. And look, and this is not meant as as offensive to to anyone, especially to wrestlers who, who put their bodies on the line for entertainment, but I really don't care who wins a match what moves are in the match, how tough somebody, I, I, that is the thing about professional wrestling about which I care the least. Mm-hmm. I don't care who wins. I don't care what moves they do. I care about the emotional reaction, the story that's being told, the references that are being brought in and how it relates to everything else that's going on around it, how it relates as a piece of a narrative. And that is over time, what's become more interesting to me. And so to write about it, I try to, I try to do the same thing. I try to say this exists as part of a cultural narrative, a political narrative, a social narrative, whatever that narrative is. I try to place it in there as best I can. I mean, look, this sounds really, you know, 50 cent word talking about me just making dumb jokes, but that's what it is. You know, everything exists as part of something else. And I try to make that very clear when I start writing about a squirrel I saw one time instead of Hulk Hogan. Does it ever go the other way around where you're writing something about squirrels and then wrestling dips it? I mean, not that specific example, but say you're doing another zine project, does wrestling ever bleed over into it 
Yeah, it it absolutely does. Um, I think that, um, you know, when I write for other, I mean, even in my freelance writing, um, you know, I've I've used wrestling metaphors. Um, I've written movie reviews that uh, I wrote a, a movie review of the Hulu film uh, The Princess. Um, most of my review for that film was about the DDT apartment wrestling where Kota Ibushi had to fight his way up floors of an abandoned apartment building and really how the princess was exactly that concept, except she was going from the tower to the, you know, to the bottom floor. And so, yeah, it, it's all for better or worse. It's all one big popular culture mass. And the inside of my brain is constantly bouncing around between comic books, professional wrestling, terrible hardcore music, you know, and just the worst movies. So it's, it's what I am and I've learned to live with it. I really appreciate and I have a lot of respect for you just committing to doing what you like, putting out the content that you want to read that you've written yourself and accepting feedback from other people, but not like custom tailoring the content of your zine to appease the masses because I think that as a culture, as a whole lately, we do a lot of um, tailoring to appease the people that we want to appeal to. And there's something to be said for being genuine and just being like, hey, this is the content I'm putting out because it's what I enjoy. And if you enjoy it as well and you want to get on board, that's fine. But if it's not for you, too bad. It's not changing. So, (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, I think that that's very endemic to small press and independent publishing um, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, um, because you know that's that's what people do. They they care enough about something, whatever it is, to make something about it. And so the the stuff that I have always really been drawn to is not stuff that's trying to market itself, but it does exactly what you just described. Here is this thing. If you like it here's where you can find it. And here's how you can access it. If you don't like it, that is fine. It doesn't have to be for you. The most, I I think the, the most impactful piece of criticism I've gotten is a review of one of my earlier issues that was like, this is just a hundred percent focused on nostalgia. This doesn't talk about. And I think the point that the reviewer was trying to make was that I'm not talking about current professional wrestling. I'm not talking about, you know, news and rumors and, and rising stars and that's fine. But I think that's what this person was looking for by nature. What I do is incredibly nostalgia focused. I'm writing about AWA shows from the mid eighties. There's no way around nostalgia when you're doing that. Um, but I always try to keep that in mind and make sure that it's not a hundred percent nostalgia, that there is some stuff about things that are going on right now. It's just that it might not be about wrestling. So that's, that's interesting because I was just wondering, you know, mixed in with the, the nostalgic content. I mean, it's, it's not that there's nothing contemporary in there and, uh, just a couple of things off the top of my head and some, some you've written, some you've edited, but there was something on NWA power. At one point, there was a, a lengthy piece on the return of Jakara when that happened. Um, but there is still a lot of this, this throwback stuff because that's what you're interested in in the moment and have something to say about. So 
is there uh, something in the present? And maybe maybe it's no, but in the wrestling landscape that excites you that's going on right now? The slow crash of DIY subculture into professional wrestling. And I say the slow crash because it's been happening for a couple of decades, but you've got people who grew up in DIY subculture that are now at the point where they're, they're trained or they feel comfortable enough in their financial situation to be a promoter or they want to get involved with professional wrestling. And so that DIY spirit moving into wrestling is, in my opinion, breaking down some of the established ways of doing business that I think have possibly been a detriment to wrestling in the past. And so you have people who are used to doing things themselves, used to saying, all right, I want to do this and I'm going to make it happen and not relying on others. And I think that infiltrating independent wrestling, whether it's on the level of a promoter, of a wrestler, or some ancillary figure is really exciting. That's how you get shows like the Let's Hang Out shows that Lehigh Valley is is seeing. Like those shows to me, I've never been to one. I've watched them on DVD or on, you know, uh, on, uh, I almost said pay-per-view, but on demand. And so like those shows are exciting to me because it's just some guys and, and, and the non-gender specific guys, please. I'm an, I'm an old man, so don't hold me to that one. Um, but you know, it's, it's just some friends hanging out and they, they want to do a show. So they do a show and that's inspiring to me. You know, it's, it's still a business and it probably always will be, but I think there are more people doing it now because they want to do that specifically, then they see it as a way to, you know, get a couple hundred bucks real quick. I'm so excited that you brought up the Let's Hang Out shows because I really enjoy them for all of the reasons you stated. I had the luxury of working one last year, and it came at a time where I was having a little bit of a rough patch with professional wrestling, not like falling out of love with it, but it hadn't necessarily been a very good time for me for about two months. And I did this show with this group of people who was, and they're an amazing group of people. And it was so much fun. And I just felt like I could go and I could perform and I could do my gimmick and, and do what I wanted to do. And everybody worked so well together. And the fans were just there to enjoy it. Like they weren't being critical. They came in with zero expectations, right? And it just kind of revitalized my love in the sense of, oh, wow, this is so fun when you just can do what you want to do and you're not under the pressure of trying to appeal to masses of people. Um, those shows I, are I think that I didn't mean to interrupt you. I think that okay. what you said is really important because the, the whole environment, even as a viewer who wasn't there present, you know, I've, I've never been to one, but even viewing it recorded on a recording, it, there's a celebratory aspect to everything to the fans, to the people in the ring, to the people running it. And yeah, it's, it's just really inspiring to see that. And it's not just Chris and let's hang out that, that are, that are doing it this way, but, but that's the, the most 
sort of shining example that I could think of on a moment's notice. But it's happening even in Georgia. I mean, a lot of promoters in Georgia are starting to tap into that feeling. And I think along with that comes an opening up of being more accepting of, okay, we don't have to just have two muscly dudes in the ring smacking each other around. And you're starting to see people of different body types, uh, people of, you know, you're starting to see a lot more trans, non-binary, a lot more of a, of a gender equity. We've got a long way to go. I don't want to make it sound like we're, we're at parity, but I think that there are some very big steps that are being taken. And I do kind of attribute that to the influx of people from these DIY subcultures into professional wrestling as a whole. And I think that it's, it's only going to be beneficial to everyone. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, and I think there's even a parallel with the other parts of DIY culture with music or literature or anything else where, you know, so many strides have been made and it does start sort of start on that grassroots level. But of course, there's still a ways to go. Uh, but it is it is refreshing to see it trickle over into the into the wrestling side of things. Uh, absolutely agree with that. Um, so. If someone is looking to go and make their own zine, and I mean, not not looking for a step-by-step -step primer uh, or anything like that, but are there any tools or tips or suggestions you might have for somebody who's looking to do that as they as they go and, you know, they have this idea, but they're, they're looking to execute it? The absolute biggest, I guess, piece of advice, for lack of a better term, is that there is absolutely no wrong way to do it. If you want to, if, if you can figure out a way to, you know, print it on paper towels, if that's what you want to do, then do it. I want to see that. I, I want to, you know, I want to see as much variety as possible. And I think that variety comes from people figuring things out on their own. And when people figure things out on their own, you get this, these weird things that you never would have thought of by nature. And so just, you know, get some friends, write some stuff down. Um, maybe one of your friends has a, a sibling or a family member who works in an office that doesn't lock down their photocopier, you know, just get it out there. And Fine tune it over time because um, the the worst thing you can do is try to make the first one perfect. Just get that first one out there, get it out of the way, and keep on going. I love the um, finding a copier that you have access to bit because one of the things I used to do in high school was I would you know cut the magazines and make the posters for the local rock concerts or punk concerts and we I would give them to my mom and be like mom can you run these off in your office for me and she'd be like sure how many do you want five and I'm like well maybe a hundred and it's just um, <laughs> it just brought that memory back of like you know using the glue sticks using the magazine clippings and like creating this piece of art that you had to mass distribute but you didn't have a computer to scan it into in a fancy printer in your house or anything right so 
I just thought of that and be like, oh yeah, mom has a printer at work. I can make mom go run it off for me. Right. Or the, you know, as you, as you get a little older, like there's maybe one friend who has their stuff together a little more than you do and <laughs> they have a job in an office. And so you're kind of hitting them up like, Hey, hey any chance I can, <laughs> any chance I can get a few copies made? How many? A oh, hundred, just a casual. Yeah, a couple hundred. I don't know. Did you have a paper yeah, cut I mean, too, brother? Like, can you cut them? <laughs> and copies aren't that expensive, but I mean, I think the price of reproduction is the biggest bar to entry. And I, and that's why I can't be too mad at the internet because if you have access to a computer, even if you don't own one, if you can get to the public library, you can build a website, but there's something about print that just feels more immediate to me. I still have a hard time reading stuff, you know, on a screen that, you know, that's longer than an email for work or whatever. And so I tend to romanticize and, and sort of idealize print. There's nothing wrong with writing for, for the internet, but I I just feel like there's something about print that will always make it stand out more to me. Um, so yeah, if you, if you want to jump off the internet and start making zines, just do it. doesn't matter what you're printing. Just get it out there. Somebody will find it. Awesome. Robert, we know you're, you're busy. You, uh, got a lunch to attend to. I don't want to keep you too much <laughs> longer, but before we let you plug anything you'd like to plug, Kaya, do you have any more questions for our guest? No, I really enjoyed speaking with you today. It definitely brought up a lot of nostalgia points for me from my youth that I will maybe now be recreating as an adult. Maybe I'll be uh, Xeroxing some copies of stuff to sell at the merch table. Maybe like some 8x10 collages or something. Maybe I'll do it like an 8x10 that's like all my pictures just cut out like zine style. There is a, um, there's a local, (laughs) there's a local wrestler here um, named Irving West, who's part of a tag team Mm -hmm. called Creeps. And they have a manifesto um, and they have photocopies at their merch table. And it's just black ink, white paper, really rough looking, very, very well recreates the sort of slapdash aesthetic of of that sort of thing. And yes, so their manifesto is just a self-published uh, Xerox of you know, one side sheet of paper. So I, I hope more more wrestlers need identity statements, manifestos, zines, you know, whatever they can get out there. Um, just get weird with it. I'm a witch. I'll do a, grim- a grimoire. I'll do a perfect grimoire. It's already done in my mind. I'm ready to, I'm, I'm ready to hit the PayPal link. Just, just <laughs> show me where to go. Fantastic. All right. Well, before you go, let uh, let listeners to this podcast know where they can uh, find you or support you and, you know, purchase Atomic Elbow. Uh, it is the Atomic Elbow. That's all run together. The Atomic Elbow.BigCartel.com. Um, I am Atomic underscore Elbow on Twitter. I have a desk job, so I'm always looking at a computer. So I'm always on Twitter. Uh, you can find me there. Um, I also run Fluke, uh, which is the one-day small press um, mini-comics show, uh, flukeathens.com, for more information on that if you're in Northeast Georgia in March and want to check out some zines. And, um, yeah, uh, that's that's where to find me. Fantastic. Robert, thank you so much for doing this. 
Thank you, both of you. This has been great. Seriously, I loved every second of it. Well, that was an awesome interview. And, you know, sometimes like when we interview people, I feel bad because like they're so inspirational to me that I get a little bit quiet because my brain starts rolling, right? And I start really thinking about what they've done and what they've contributed and how valuable it really, really is. And when Robert was speaking and we started getting into like the whole DIY aspect of creating a zine, it really kind of got me thinking like, oh my God, like this is something I feel really strongly about. I love zines. I'm going to do like a witchy grimoire zine. And now, like as we've been going through this podcast, I've actually pulled up sticky notes and I'm like typing out like, oh, this could be a page. Oh, this could be a page. And I could do this. And it's just sent me on this whole like wild flight of ideas, creative tangents. So thank you, Robert, for inspiring me to make a scene today (laughs) because I can't control myself. You've created a monster. (laughs) That's amazing. And that's, and we spoke to him very recently. So for him to uh, have inspired that in you right away is is, Oh my God, instant. I was like, oh my God, you know what? He is so right. There is something here. Let's go. Amazing. All right. Well, let's well, go. I my 80 million projects. <laughs> right. Yeah. You don't, you don't have enough started, going never on. never finished. Right. <laughs> like, I think we all can relate to that. Like you get like this flight of ideas and you start something and then you're just like, nah. Yep. I'm going to finish this one. I'm going to do it. I believe in you. I'm going to do it. All right. Well, let's uh, finish this episode with another great conversation with someone who is, uh, has been very hands-on involved with the DIY side of making zines. Uh, you may know him from Twitter, uh, or you may know the zine itself, which is Wrestling with Gender. And they were very uh, kind to come and appear on the show and talk to us about this. We get into a lot of different topics around DIY and pro wrestling and gender. Uh, but without further ado, let's just go to that conversation with Elm Hill. Elm, it's finally good to see you face to face. Have have a conversation that's not Twitter. I know. I know. I'm bummed that we didn't get to meet at uh PW Vibe, but glad yeah. to see you now. It's COVID. It's uh everything's but but uh COVID for better and worse has kept us all on uh social media a lot more too. So that's also how we all get uh, talking to each other. So maybe I don't want to say COVID's a good thing. It sounds like I'm going in that direction. Let's pull back. <laughs> let's <laughs> let's leave it. Let's leave it at adapt and overcome. How about that? That's very good, Kaya. <laughs> Thank you. Um, um, we asked you here to talk about a zine project that you uh, started up a, a f- almost a few years back now, wrestling with gender. Uh, but for anyone who doesn't already know you, know you from Twitter. Uh, I, I feel sorry for them, but could you talk a little bit about yourself <laughs> and your relationship uh, with yeah. Carissa? For sure. Uh, I'm Elm. I have been around pro wrestling for about four years now. Um, I got into it in 2018 um, because I saw uh, the women's money in the bank match from that year um and just like at a friend's house randomly and i was just like so drawn to these women and so then i started watching total divas naturally as one does um and but eventually i did start watching wrestling more um and then i uh started going to some indie shows here in indiana and that's when I like really like 
dove in because like being there live, like I was going to shows where like we're standing around the ring, right at ringside. Um, it's just such a enthralling uh experience. And uh I've gained a little bit of a Twitter following over time for my uh transsexual nonsense and uh I would say a certain kind of posting that I will not say on this podcast, but uh I rhymes with house posting. I'm just a guy. <laughs> we'll say that, yeah. Um, but I am yeah, I'm just a guy who likes wrestling, I guess. And who's winning the, the Twitter follower war with you and the PWI columnist Lachlan McGrath? Because I know it was back and forth for a while. Uh, it is currently Lachlan, but I've uh, I've, I've, I've uh, re reposted my uh, classic <laughs> as of last night. Actually, the I saw Q and LGBTQ stands for Kenny Omega. Um, that hope, that put a smile boost, on my hoping face. Hoping to boost my numbers a little bit with that, uh, <laughs> but we'll see. You're the king of just like the one-liner tweet that can put a smile on anyone's face. Like, <laughs> it's, it's really is magical how you are able to connect with your audience in that way. Thank you. I, Every uh, I do try sometimes. Sometimes I'm not really trying at all. <laughs> periodically I will put a tweet out there like something to the effect of like Elm is low key, the funniest person on wrestling Twitter. And then he inevitably will see the tweet, whether or not I've tagged him and pick it up and say, <laughs> a lot of people saying this, it's a continued. <laughs> and uh, it's a, it's a good serotonin boost every time it happens. Um, but uh, uh, enough. Uh, Barefaced flattery, I guess. <laughs> um, I mean, you can keep going if you want. <laughs> I think that what the appeal is, is that it's just like unfiltered commentary to an extent that it's relatable to most people because there are things that many people think maybe, but they don't actually say or tweet in this instance. Right. And you have a way of putting it into words that are digestible and relatable to a very large audience, <laughs> which I guess probably is what made you a good candidate to have a zine because you're able to take something you're interested in or two topics you're interested in or a part of your lifestyle and put it out there unfiltered and unabashed, but also digestible for a large audience. Yeah. Um, I have been like around seeing culture like before i even got into wrestling like there's a big uh zine fest that happens here um in bloomington um and then i haven't been to the one in uh indy i want to say it's like it has something to, the name of it has something to do with glue but i can't remember the exact name of it um but uh i am a big fan of zines because they're just like so like it can be anything you want um and so like bringing that to wrestling um and like having it be more like community oriented was very 
Um, I guess I will explain a little bit about that particular zine that I did. Um, yeah, please do. It is called Wrestling with Gender. Honestly, uh, if another volume ever uh, comes out, I may uh, append a little more creative title uh, to that. But uh, at the time, I was maybe a little less confident in my like writing and creative abilities. Um, and uh, so this scene I created in January 2020 is when I like put out my little tweet calling for submissions. Um, and it was probably about a year after I like came out as trans or like started identifying as trans, I guess. Um, cause I like had identified as non-binary for a while before I was like, oh, like I like can like claim this trans identity. I was definitely in the like, oh, I'm not trans enough phase, which is obviously not the case. Um, but uh, so this was like about a year after I had come out as trans and I was just like kind of thinking that there, this was probably, I'm trying to remember how the timing played out, but I believe in 20, at some point in 2019 was when Still Life with Apricots and Pears won the Chikara Young Lions Cup and um, now known as Edith Surreal. Um, and at the time she was like one of the first trans wrestlers um, to like be in that like uh, position as uh, like a champion. But then also, oh, of course, before that, like, I think it was like early, early 2019 is when Dark Sheet came out as trans as well. Um, so it was like, just like, as like more trans wrestlers were starting to come out or like starting their wrestling training, um, obviously Mariah Moreno uh, had as well. Um, and then... I know like Nyla has, was that 2020 that she won the women's championship? Right. Yeah, early but, 2020. So this is like, I had was like starting to like meet all these trans people online um, through like the indie wrestling scene and um, like getting to actually beat these wrestlers at shows like um, Edith or Still Life at the time was like coming to Bizarro Lucha that was the uh, promotion I mainly went to. Um, and so this is like, right as I'm coming out, it's like the first like trans people that I was hanging out with or talking to, I met mostly online, like meeting Lachlan. Um, and so 
I also had like just um, recently like made my first scene, um, which I actually made for like a class. Um, and it was about hair. The class was a comparative literature class um, with the topic of hair. And so like for our final project, we could just do like literally anything that was relating to hair. And so I decided I made, wanted to make a zine. Um, and it was just about like my like, or like how my hair over time had like related to my gender. Um, and I, it was a cut and paste scene, which was super fun. Um, I like used like a bunch of like scrapbook paper and like printed out like pictures of me over time to like have examples of my hair. Um, and uh, that like kind of experience of like getting to just like create something like that was not something that I had done a lot. Um, I'm most of my like creative pursuits are like needlework or like sewing related in the past. Um, but uh, this or like doing the zine was like a way to just like express myself differently. I, so it, it, it just, uh, <laughs> one thing I, I noticed I meant to do the hands up thing on, on zoom and I did a clap instead, but Hey, you're the needlework I've seen from you has been very good. So <laughs> if I made a face at the end there, that's why. We, we will celebrate that because needlework and sewing is very, very difficult. And I don't it think is. that people always give it the <laughs> yeah. credit that it deserves for being a very difficult creative practice. Absolutely. Um, sure. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's so cool to hear that these... <sighs> like interest for lack of a better word with zine making creativity and wrestling. And, you know, they all sort of coincided um, in this way where you were meeting your community and you were meeting wrestling community. You were also meeting uh, people in the trans community in and outside of wrestling and wrestling was, you know, uh, obviously inspiring some things in you where you went and you put the zine together. I, I know for sure the first time I had ever seen anything from you, it was either when you were putting the zine together or getting ready to launch pre-orders for it or something. And uh, a friend of mine from college who uh, IDs is non-binary um, sent me like a link to like, oh, have you heard about this? And like, just thought you might be interested. And this person still uh, like, well, follows me on Twitter now and I, I I th gotta think they have me muted by now because it's nonstop wrestling stuff. They really have zero interest in it. <laughs> but <laughs> it was like, hey, this this seems like it might be something you'd be into. I'm like, oh yeah, I'll keep an eye on this. And I, I don't know if I followed you then or followed you later or whatever. But um, when the pre-orders actually did go up, I ordered it and saw it, and like, yeah, it just really reminded me of other zines I'd picked up in the the past in a really good way where it. Um, combined, you know, poetry and photography and artwork and essays. And I think that's one of the really cool things about wrestling with gender is it's such a patchwork while touching on all these meaningful subjects and, and, and grappling with them to use a very intentional pun. 
Um, so, th so this is your second zine that you, when you put this together, this is, you've done one yes. before this and the other one yes. was cut and paste scissors. Now. Yeah. And we talked to Robert Newsom from atomic elbow and he said that yeah. with, so his eternal shame that he admitted to us is that he no longer does the cut and paste that he does everything on a computer with wrestling with gender. Was this more of a, like an InDesign type project or something like that? Or were there still elements of that cut and paste style? It was all digital. Um, I used, I think, Scribus was just like a free public oh, yeah, yeah. program. Uh, it was kind of a learning curve to figure out how to use it. It's not very uh, user friendly, but um, it was like quite fun to like be able to like communicate with all of these people like a lot of the people who are in the zine are people that like i've been mutuals on twitter with and friends with for a very long time now and like are still like some of my good friends and people that i talk to regularly um and so like having like being able to provide that outlet um and then um getting to like share or like send the like drafts back and forth and like and then like at the end like being able to pay them with the money from uh like the zines or like selling them um was very rewarding like um i'm sure you know uh kennedy um i can't remember what her ad is now it's changed um since being in the z this scene but um I remember uh her like saying like it means so much to her that like she was like this was her first like published piece that she was paid for um and so like being able to like provide that was very cool and also just like learning how to do like the um big cartel store and like getting them printed at like a local printer here um which didn't even happen for like months after because the zine like i really i remember i released it on february 29th just because i thought that was cool um and so then like a couple weeks later well i went to um uh Butch versus Gore, like a couple weeks after that, and that was the first time I met Lowe, and then uh, meeting like all of these other wrestlers um, was also a great experience. But then, like that week after, was like pretty much when everything shut down. So then I didn't even get it printed until like I want to say it was like August. Uh, so, um, but like the like packing them all up to ship them out and addressing everything like going through that whole process like was fun and rewarding and also like actually following through with a project like i have uh so many unfinished uh projects from years and years back like i recently found a uh I think a scarf that I had started knitting probably in high school, which is now like 10 years ago, <laughs> uh, while trying to unpack some boxes from moving recently. So like, and also like 
just in the past like couple months i got diagnosed with adhd which explained a lot that part of it but uh like actually going from like the beginning of this project this idea all the way to the end like getting everything shipped out um was very rewarding you know it's really it's really interesting because you're you, you go eh, words blah. you're you're speaking of all the steps in this very surprisingly complicated process to create a zine and the overarching mm -hmm. thing is collaboration within the community that you belong yeah. to that everybody kind of contributes everyone comes together to put together this publication and then everybody kind of works in some aspect to get it printed and sent out even if the burden of mailing it falls on you. Um, but it's, it's, that's what I think makes zines so special is it brings people together in a way that maybe they don't even realize throughout the collaborative process. And even though it's like digital and people are like, Oh, that's cheating. It's like, you guys did a really nice job of preserving that like Xerox feel by incorporating some of the cutouts and incorporating some of that pen and ink style illustration but I also noticed um, something that I really liked. And I don't know if it was intentional or not, but it was like cutouts, like you would cut out from a magazine, but some of them, like you could see the pixels. Like it was almost like very tongue in cheek, like, yeah, like making, and, and I just thought that was really cool because then it did kind of feel like that gritty, like punk rock feel that you would get from mm -hmm. the cut and paste and the glue stick, but in the digital scape, right? Like that would be the digital equivalent. And that was really cool. I thought that was a fun little touch, honestly. Like, and like I don't know if it was intentional or not, but I really, really liked <laughs> the statement that that was making from an um, art standpoint. Yeah, and even like the the font that I chose, I was kind of going for that vibe too. Like, uh, and like the when I print the, so I did like a digital version which was in color, um, but then the print version like it was all in black and white to i mean for one it's cheaper to print but also like uh just to uh keep that same vibe because like traditionally zines are like uh especially like with cut and paste ones like you just make photocopies um and pull them staple them or whatever um and even like uh so i worked in a special ed classroom for the past three years um and my i was with the same student all three years and uh he was in sixth grade last year so moving on to middle school this year um but our art teacher did a project for the sixth graders where they were making zines but they did the one where it's like the super big sheet of paper and then you kind of like fold it into eight sections and then cut it in the middle so it just like all is one sheet of paper but it makes a little booklet and so we uh made one uh together that was uh like kind of like some pictures like from his time at school and then like some of the like interests that he has um and so like there like you said it is very much like a little capsule in time of like uh just like how you're feeling or like what's just what's going on like um and again that's like the part of the appeal for zines for me is that it's like it doesn't have to be like super uh 
like pristine or like um super well thought out you can just like slap whatever you, you want on there if you want to like i did like spend quite a bit of time uh like trying to make everything kind of like uniform um but that's just me being kind of a perfectionist <laughs> i love the idea of using it as like a project for children that you're teaching like especially in the art space, right? Like I think of all the lame art projects I had to do in yeah. high school or middle school that just like weren't yeah. actually fun. It's just like busy work. And that this would be something that you could actually teach kids about like abstract art and like skate culture and punk culture and yeah. decollage and even like to an extent, maybe feminist art from the 80s and stuff like that. And it's very hands-on. And I just, I, I just love the idea of using making a zine as a project in school. Maybe if I'm ever an art teacher one day, we'll do that. Cause that's really yeah. fun. Like that's so fun. That's, that's really cool. Love that. Definitely. And it's definitely like a keepsake for <laughs> them and their families and like good stuff. And it allows them to put energy into something that they feel very strongly about. Cause it's not like you're dictating and the topic must be blah. It's literally just, whatever you like. If you like wrestling, make it about wrestling. If you like music, make it about music. If you like fashion, make it about outfits, whatever. Like the, the world is your oyster almost to an extent. And it really kind of encourages a lot of creativity. Definitely. So I would like to circle back to this whole idea of uh, confidence, you know, both in your creative uh, abilities, but also just a better understanding of who you are as a person of your, of your gender of so many different things at once. And I, I think these again, coincide. And if we look at the, the wrestling with gender, gender zine uh, from what is it, two and a half years ago now, right. Yeah. Um, everything that's changed with, with you personally, I mean, I mean, you, you've alluded to this here, you've moved and um you know, just a lot else is different in your life since then. And you can go into that as much or as little as you'd like, but do you think that the confidence in your own abilities comes with that better understanding of your gender and who you are? Oh, absolutely. Um, like even like, uh, like between the time that I released the zine digitally and the time that I got it printed, I changed my name. Uh, so, like, I think the ones that got printed were, I did, like, change my name in it. But I think, like, the copy I sent you digitally still has my old name. Right. It. Like, yeah. Uh, but, um, yeah, like, as far as, like, confidence, like, what I was kind of talking about earlier, um, with even just, like, the naming of it, like, part of my like desire to do a zine that was collaborative was that i had like at the time very little confidence in my like writing abilities um which again relating to the adhd just like sure. being able to do sit up a desk and write but um also like my like confidence and like just like my values i guess or like my um 
or even just like my opinions like i at the time like i was kind of like looking to other people in the community to um just like see what people thought about things and um it was very much like a i guess like seeking like approval from other people and like um kind of attention as well but like at the same time like wanting to like provide that platform for other people like i didn't like i wrote like a short little forward um but i didn't actually like have my own like piece in the zine because like i guess like the creation of like or like putting it all together was like my part of it but um like over time like i started testosterone last year um and uh i like again changed my name um changed my pronouns i go by he or they now at the time i was going by they them um and just like developed a lot more like understanding and just like being comfortable in my own skin um i mean literally in my like own body like especially being on testosterone um like changed a lot like both like mentally as well as physically um but like i guess like it's interesting to see like how like over time people have kind of seem to view me as like a leader in the community or whatever um which like i do like make jokes about like uh being like uh or like earlier when i was like oh you can keep talking about how great i am but like uh, <laughs> i like i guess like having that like online space to like explore my identity created like a lot of difference in like how i existed in the real world especially like going to like shows um like independent shows i've traveled like to pittsburgh for shows i've gone to dc i went to new jersey this year um, I've been to Nashville for shows, Chicago, like, um, and then like all these places I get to meet people that have like seen how I interact online, but may not have like met me in real life. And it's kind of like a negotiation of like how I act in like my day-to-day -day life versus in person with like people who know me online right like you kind of have your persona <laughs> to an extent yeah. but it, but it's not yeah. it's not not you but people expect yeah. certain things yeah um, but it's like it's interesting because like online like everyone's like oh that's elm but then like recently i went to a show in Terre Haute 
And I was there by myself. I sat by myself the whole time. Um, and I mean, I hung out with the wrestlers like during intermission and stuff like they all knew me, but like in the audience, like I'm just some guy and like in my day to day life, I'm just some guy. Um, like I don't even, I just started a new job recently. Uh, haven't told anyone at my new job, uh, that I am have like 3000 Twitter followers and I'm like a niche internet micro celebrity. I'm doing air quotes right now. <laughs> I mean, that's what, that's the best thing though, is like having enough fame where you feel relevant to a group of people, but you can still like go down the street and get a cup of coffee and nobody's going to bother you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but also like is interesting, like how, I enjoy wrestling shows now has like kind of changed because like there will sometimes be like people that I don't necessarily recognize coming up to me to say hi, which is weird. But uh, you're an internet celebrity. Hello. Yeah. Oh man, <laughs> I love but, that like, for you. Yeah, like before I was like gaining followers on Twitter or whatever, like. I was a very shy person, a very quiet person. I didn't really consider myself like all that creative or funny or anything, but like, I guess just like getting to know different people who like share my interests and uh, like respect the way that I move through life, like uh, it did like change a lot for me for like my confidence and like just like feeling comfortable with myself you know that that's an awesome thing and i think what people respond to is it does feel like you're being yourself and sometimes you know there are jokes and everything else but like it's the relatability but it's also the i don't think anyone ever thinks you're trying to get a job writing for WWE or AEW or doing like, you know, like you're not, you're not trying to make a career out of this. You're just genuinely a fan of wrestling who has ideas about the scene and particularly the independent scene and uh, the LGBTQ community within that. And I, I don't know. I think that resonates with a lot of people, maybe who aren't even super into wrestling. I've got to imagine some of your followers have checked out wrestling and liked it or not <laughs> because you're tweeting about it you know has that been the case uh, yeah um like there's been people like even like local to me um who like i have shown them wrestling um and uh i do like have like it's a weird mix of like all of my like wrestling followers versus my trans followers and like some of them overlap but not all of them uh so i do wonder sometimes what like people who don't like or like just haven't checked out wrestling because i i can't say that people don't like wrestling because they necessarily haven't necessarily like seen the right wrestling that they would like but like that's also like part of like my enjoyment of like being in wrestling twitter is like being able to share the stuff that i like and like um like 
bring attention to wrestlers that I like and like I mean and also just like finding out about like different wrestlers because like there's I think that's part of why like wrestlers seem to like me is that I like acknowledge all of the work that they put in I acknowledge like both like from the wrestling aspect as well as like their character work and like um even just like marketing or merch type stuff like I I do like supporting people because it's like supporting the arts I'm a patron of the arts we'll say that <laughs> um uh, or a Patreon of the arts in today's society. <laughs> there, you go. There, there you go. There we go. <laughs> yeah. There's, you know, there's a lot of similarity with that. And I mean, I, I brought this up several times on this podcast and I think we even talked about it a little bit off air, but this uh, idea that the independent wrestling scene is not all that different than the independent music scene or the punk scene or any underground art culture. Um, culture yeah exactly yeah absolutely Uh, yeah and i i I think there's value to you know and certainly like there are a lot of independent wrestlers who are ultimately looking to be able to make it a full-time job and um make it sustainable and i don't think there's anything wrong with that especially given how much these wrestlers are putting their bodies through um Mm -hmm. you know um but i i do think it's pretty cool that there are some people out there who have less interest in that or maybe just looking to uh, exist on a certain level or who uh, want to express a particular thing. Their goal is not to like get rich off of it. They're just trying to get out there and yeah, express, express their art in this kind of sport adjacent way. Um, And I, I don't know. I mean, like, so you, you had this interest in zines obviously before, uh wrestling with gender you had the class project the cut and paste style obviously you didn't come to that you know by accident so like what what are some early zines you uh may have checked out or was it just like a uh something that you saw out there and you wanted to emulate yeah um i have like a whole like collection of zines actually i'm like right here at arm's length reach this is exciting it's, yeah. it's all it's all on my uh uh filing cabinet here let me let me pull it out okay it's this thick i'm wow. demonstrating it's maybe yeah. like two two inches thick in this folder of just like all these beans oh i've got uh, the first ones on top where uh by Kate, the girl wrestling fan, Will You Marry Me? I've got a couple of those, um, which was like the really like, I know like Atomic Elbow has been around. I have one, uh, I have a copy of one volume of Atomic Elbow that I actually got from Bryce Remsburg at uh, Pride and Joy, uh, the Rise, was that the name of the promotion? Yeah. In Chicago. Yeah. I get that was 2019, I think. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, it's an, a volume of uh, Atomic Elbow that he was interviewed in. Um, and actually, uh, the like when I was at the merch table talking to Bryce and getting that uh, theme, and I bought a shirt from him. I learned after the fact that 
one, Lachlan McGrath was standing right next to him, uh, watching the merch for the promotion because they were there for like the uh, little workshop that they did beforehand. This was when uh, right uh, prime time was like just starting, I think. Um, before I'd ever met them. So right. Um I've got um how to talk to wrestling fans about prison abolition. Um by Jeff. Wow. Uh, <laughs> Wait by Jet like like wrestler yeah. from the UK, Jet? Wow. <laughs> oh no, 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 no. Uh oh I guess that's the, maybe that's shoot name. Uh but uh it's uh it's a cool concept. Like, over like, yeah. <laughs> it's all right. It's better if it's someone's shoot name. We don't want to necessarily put it out there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, very cool. It's got the super cool illustration on it. I love a oh, good a, scene cover. Yeah. Is and, that, and is that was that, was that Bull Nakano beating up the big boss man? <laughs> uh, I believe so. Yeah. <laughs> Can you hold it up again? Um, Maybe and, Kai. And it's, an, it's an ABO comics uh, theme. <laughs> Which I oh. think I also is this one? No, this is Silver's Rocket. Um, this one uh, is a cool little uh, like comic theme called Your Black mm-hmm. Friend, um, and it's just kind of like talking about how like white people interact with their black friends, right. um, and and that's a Silver Sprocket, you said yeah that's, they do a lot of cool stuff they they have stuff that ranges from for anyone who, listening who doesn't know like yeah more pamphlet length things to like full-on graphic novels they do a lot of cool uh comic things um yeah. but there's just these whole cultures out there of uh, uh well subcultures as kaya said where there's these uh i mean it's ultimately just a medium to explore whatever you want to explore within it um and that's a that's a very cool thing. Um, Just the freedom to put in whatever we want, you exactly. Know, to, and and people can take it or leave it, right? <laughs> like it's, yeah. it's not like you have to cater to a certain group of people when you do a zine project. It truly can be an expression of yourself, yeah. in the best way. Yeah, like it could even just be like a diary or like a. Um, like autobiographical like just telling stories like um i've got a couple that are just like kind of that where it's just uh talking about their experiences um i've got this one that's all about carly ray jepson uh that was also like a collaborative scene um that actually one of my friends is in it but yeah like it's fun to just like have this like little collection i love like if like friends have put out stuff i try to grab it um yeah a uh, girl wrestling fan will you marry me is a great one that's like all uh women and queer contributors and i believe uh kate puts it out every six months to a year um but a great one to contribute to um yeah like i'm trying to think if 
there's any other like rest oh um i know colette around has put out several uh wrestling related zines um colette's amazing i'm, I'm really gonna miss the uh, fan fight site when it's not online anymore she's just done an amazing amazing job with that yeah that is very sad that that yeah. would be a place to write for yeah yeah well i mean if you were to do this again and maybe contribute more creatively i first off let me let me say as as an editor and maybe this is just defending my day-to-day -day, but like i think it is a creative act just to decide what goes in something and to say hey you do something really good why don't you send something over and then putting it all together and i mean on top of that your design designed it like that's a ton of work um yeah yeah and actually like when i Like, I'm pretty sure that we was like, shared by like a couple hundred people, like, maybe like 1,500 people liked the tweet. Like, that was like, and I only probably had like 700 followers at the time. Like, it was sure. a big deal for me to like that people, like, it was obvious that there was an interest and like a need for like that outlet for people. Um, and I actually like started a second volume like over a year ago now, um, but, uh, never really like followed through with it. And I would like to definitely like touch base with the people that were going to contribute and try again. We'll see, uh if I can make the time work. I do have um, a friend who's interested uh, in kind of uh, taking on some of that work with me. Um, and uh, we'll see what comes of that. But um, I do think it would be very fun to revisit that like idea, especially just like how much has changed since then in like, indie wrestling and like this trans wrestling scene specifically especially after recent events um there was a uh tran all trans wrestling show that happened recently called wrestle queer them um that uh was an event that happened um the, the show itself was yeah. supposedly a, a great uh yeah a great thing that everyone I mean, was very happy was, to be it was venny versus edith surreal right yeah um and i would love to see that match i have not seen it yet yeah. but uh they're definitely oh. and also aiden aiden von england coming out as trans like at that event uh meant a lot to me like he um it's like since I've been on TV for like a little over a year now, um, he was asking me a lot of questions about my experiences uh, with T leading mm -hmm. up to that moment. And so very exciting times. Um, just like seeing how like trans people in wrestling have 
really like just like it just seems like more and more people are coming out or deciding to train or um just being more visible i guess um since this scene came out like i know if i uh were to ask for submissions again like i would have to be a lot more picky <laughs> with like uh because i'm sure there would be more submissions and like yep. i hope that like and the, like the thing is this doesn't have to be the only trans wrestling scene like right. anyone can like make one anyone can uh collaborate with their friends or people that are interested like and the more like outlets that people have like that the better like because like it's not it shouldn't just be oh these like 10 people are like the end all be all of what has to be said about trans wrestling or gender relating to wrestling like there's infinite like possibility with like sharing that and how people relate to that mm. so our zine could be your life to reference a very old book <laughs> <laughs> all right this has been awesome and i know we've been going a little longer than usual but before we uh let um plug anything they want to plug kai do you have any more questions for our guest I actually do not. I am just sitting here. I feel like I get a little quiet toward the end of the interview, but it's because like my brain was operating in many ways, just appreciating the contributions of the trans community to professional wrestling. And not only like how that, but like how, when something needs to happen, how everybody can just band together and pull it off. Um, I just think that's really beautiful and it speaks volumes about the connections within that community and how deeply you all care for each other absolutely like even just like going to shows and like like at this show i went to last weekend um the luminary jacques kennedy um is a non-binary wrestler who won one of the championships at new wave pro in Terre Haute, and i had never met them before and like at intermission, I like went and congratulated them. Uh, they had their belt with them. Like it clearly meant a lot to them to be in that position to like be able to be the champion and like um, like being even just like being out like in a wrestling show in Terre Haute, Indiana. <laughs> like sure, uh, it's it feels very good to be able to like see people being themselves and having that outlet through wrestling. It's a great thing. And I, I think you've played, uh, tempted to make a joke and say, this is all because of your zine, but, it's, <laughs> but, but the truth is that your zine empowered people and mm -hmm. had ripple effects that like, will not even be consciously ever known that you couldn't know because people learned that it existed, read it, enjoyed it, uh, learned something about themselves, perhaps. That's an awesome thing. And I'm glad you were able to uh, put that together because that's a, that's a huge project. Um, so two and a half years later, congrats on that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
All right. And th- this is all just from a regular dude. Like you said, this is not yeah. so that, like anyone listening to this, it's, you know, there's different ways you can contribute to the independent wrestling scene. You don't have to be in the ring or, or be an announcer or a ref or any one particular thing. There are different ways to get out there and uh, make a positive impact. Right. So anything you would like to plug Elm before we let you go and get on with your day. Um, I'll just say you can follow me on Twitter at fag and toad. Uh, wait, it's not Fagin D toad. I thought it was a name. <laughs> uh, yes. Yes. We'll say that. We'll say that. <laughs> uh, we'll have to have another episode about frog and toad. I think there's a lot to <laughs> just, it's like a bonus episode for the Patreon. We don't have. Absolutely. I don't ask what was what was the inspiration for that Twitter handle because I, I remember the the books from when I was a, a child and I just thought it was very clever but kind of yeah. led you to select uh, that because it's, it's very it's cute I love it yeah uh, originally uh, my handle was gay frog and toad um, just because uh, like frog and toad became very important to me uh, at the first school that I worked at um one of we like read them like the teacher loved them and we read them pretty much every day um because there's like a couple stories in each book and there's four books so a lot of uh opportunity for uh different activities and stuff but uh they or the author Arnold Lobel um was likely uh a gay man um he was married with kids but uh they're like his family has talked about it and then um the like just the story of frog and toad like has kind of some like themes of men who love each other um and so i actually have like a tattoo of frog and toad love it and then uh after somewhere along the line when i like was realizing that uh i am a more masculine individual uh who loves men and loves my spouse uh who is a man uh if you hadn't said spouse it was was a good (laughs) yeah uh i just thought it was a good pun to go along with that. Sounds good. All right. So got a little bonus bit of information there at the end. Um, thank yeah, you so I much. didn't know that. And that was, that's really cool. I yeah, feel like that's awesome. A, yeah. Uh, there's a good uh, article about it. I think it, I want to say it was in the New Yorker, maybe. Um, yeah. If you just Google like frog and toad gay, you'll probably find it. <laughs> If we find it, we'll put a link in the description. There you go. Thank you again, Al. Thank you for having me. This was a great time. Again, another interview that has just left me totally in awe and inspired. Um, and maybe it's just like the artist in me appreciates the artist in Elm. That yeah. there's like this like wavelength or this vibe that we can both get on. Because to hear him speak so passionately about 
the zine that he created and the role that it played in his life and getting to where he is today was really, really cool. I love that art is such a powerful vehicle for people and such a powerful like conduit for change and evolution and growth within society. 100%. Totally agree. All right. Well, this has been a lot of fun. I know uh, the episode's probably a little bit longer than uh, usual by the time everything is put together. And we say that every time. We're like, oh, it's only going to be like 20 minutes. I feel like badly we bait people in. Like, come do an interview with us. It's only 20 minutes. And it's like like SpongeBob. One hour later, we're still rocking and rolling. I don't even even know if I said that with Elm because I kind of knew this was going to be a long conversation. (laughs) But like we had, you know, we finally had a chance to like sit down and talk. Yeah. Um, but it's, yeah, we just have to accept we're, this is rolling toward like a three hour Springsteen concert podcast <laughs> at some point. Just you're along for the ride or like going to see like fish or something where it's just right. like hours yeah. upon hours. Oh God. You're the fish of wrestling podcasts. Oh no. <laughs> oh, I know. I don't so know. It feels dirty to say that. Doesn't yeah. It? Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. If you're listening no to offense listening. anybody who loves fish. I'm yeah. Yeah. Kaya and I are person. <laughs> Kaya and I are like uh, three minute punk song people. So we're, we're yes. snobs that way. <laughs> if the song's longer than three minutes, I'm, I'm checking out immediately, like not interested. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, about ready to wrap up. I think we don't know what we're doing next time. hundred percent, but we have some ideas in mind. Um, so I would say just anything you want to plug Kaya. Uh, I think you actually have a booking coming up that you can announce, right? Yeah, I do. I will be performing at From Dusk Till Dawn. It's Grand Isle Wrestling outside of St. Louis in Sunday, Illinois. It will be October 22nd. Um, my opponent is TBD. So as that information comes out, I will relay that to you as well. But I'm very, very excited to be getting back in the ring and to be doing so with such a creative promotion. Like I don't know if anybody's familiar with Grand Isle Wrestling or not, but it's very theatrical and they make such good use of their resources. And it just... It doesn't feel like somebody's like, well, I have a ring and I can book wrestlers and I'm doing a show because I want to do a wrestling show. Like there's so much thought that goes into these productions. They are very special and they are very, very cool. So please check out Grand Isle Wrestling when I'm there on the 22nd. Please come out and support me if you were in the St. Louis area. I would love to see some actual fans, human body fans breathing in person after 10 months of being on Twitter not actually being able to see you all. So please come out. It's October 22nd in St. Louis, Grand Isle Wrestling. And go outside, folks, and uh, if you haven't already, touch some grass. Yeah, please. Oh, my gosh. 